Book two, chapter five of Michael Strogoff by Jules Verne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter five. Look while you may. Michael was held before the Emir's throne at the foot of the terrace, his hands bound behind his back. His mother, overcome at last by mental and physical torture, had sunk to the ground daring neither to look nor listen. "'Look while you may!' exclaimed Theofar Khan, stretching his arm towards Michael in a threatening manner. Doubtless Ivan Ogaryev, being well acquainted with Tartar customs, had taken in the full meaning of these words, for his lips curled for an instant in a cruel smile. He then took his place by Theofar Khan. A trumpet call was heard. This was the signal for the amusements to begin. Here comes the ballet, said Alcide to Blount. But contrary to our customs, these barbarians give it before the drama. Michael had been commanded to look at everything. He looked. A troop of dancers poured into the open space before the emir's tent. Different Tartar instruments, the dautare, a long-handled guitar, the kobize, a kind of violoncello, the chibizga, a long reed flute, Wind instruments, tom-toms, tambourines, united with the deep voice of the singers, formed a strange harmony. Added to this were the strains of an aerial orchestra, composed of a dozen kites, which, fastened by strings to their centers, resounded in the breeze like Aeolian harps. Then the dancers began. The performers were all of Persian origin. They were no longer slaves, but exercised their profession at liberty. Formerly they figured officially in the ceremonies at the court of Teheran, but since the accession of the reigning family, banished or treated with contempt, they had been compelled to seek their fortune elsewhere. They wore the national costume and were adorned with a profusion of jewels. Little triangles of gold studded with jewels glittered in their ears. Circles of silver marked with black surrounded their necks and legs. These performers gracefully executed various dances, sometimes alone, sometimes in groups. Their faces were uncovered, but from time to time they threw a light veil over their heads, and the gauze cloud passed over their bright eyes as smoke over a starry sky. Some of these Persians wore leathern belts embroidered with pearls, from which hung little triangular bags. From these bags, embroidered with golden filigree, they drew long, narrow bands of scarlet silk, on which were braided verses of the Koran. These bands, which were held between them, formed a belt under which the other dancers darted, and as they passed each verse, following the precept it contained, they either prostrated themselves on the earth, or lightly bounded upwards, as though to take a place among the huris of Mohammed's heaven. But what was remarkable, and what struck Alcide, was that the Persians appeared rather indolent than fiery. Their passion had deserted them, and, by the kind of dances, as well as by their execution, they recalled rather the calm and self-possessed nodge-girls of India, rather than the impassioned dancers of Egypt. When this was over, a stern voice was heard, saying, Look while you may. The man who repeated the emir's words, a tall, spare Tartar, was he who carried out the sentence of Theofar Khan against offenders. He had taken his place behind Michael, holding in his hand a broad, curved sabre, one of those damascen blades which are forged by the celebrated armorers of Karshi or Hisar. Behind him guards were carrying a tripod supporting a chafing dish filled with live coals. 
No smoke arose from this, but a light vapor surrounded it, due to the incineration of a certain aromatic and resinous substance which he had thrown on the surface. The Persians were succeeded by another party of dancers whom Michael recognized. The journalists also appeared to recognize them, for Blount said to his companion, These are the Tisganis of Nizhny Novgorod. No doubt of it, cried Alcide. Their eyes, I imagine, bring more money to these spies than their legs. In putting them down as agents in the emir's service, Alcide Jolivet was, by all accounts, not mistaken. In the first rank of the Tziganes, Sangare appeared, superb in her strange and picturesque costume, which set off still further her remarkable beauty. Sangare did not dance, but she stood as a statue in the midst of the performers, whose style of dancing was a combination of that of all those countries through which their race had passed, Turkey, Bohemia, Egypt, Italy, and Spain. They were enlivened by the sound of cymbals, which clashed on their arms, and by the hollow sound of the dires, a sort of tambourine played with the fingers. Sangare, holding one of those dires, which she played between her hands, encouraged this troop of veritable corybants. A young Tsigane, of about fifteen years of age, then advanced. He held in his hand a dotare, strings of which he made to vibrate by a simple movement of the nails. He sung. During the singing of each couplet, of very peculiar rhythm, a dancer took her position by him and remained there immovable, listening to him, but each time that the burden came from the lips of the young singer, she resumed her dance, dinning in his ears with her daire and deafening him with the clashing of her cymbals. Then, after the last chorus, the reminder surrounded the tzigane in the windings of their dance. At that moment a shower of gold fell from the hands of the emir and his train, and from the hands of his officers of all ranks. To the noise which the pieces made as they struck the cymbals of the dancers, being added the last murmur of the dotares and tambourines. Lavish as robbers, said Alcide in the ear of the companion. And in fact it was the result of plunder which was falling, for with the Tartar tomans and sekins reigned also Russian ducats and rubles. Then silence followed for an instant, and the voice of the executioner, who laid his hand on Michael's shoulder, once more pronounced the words, which this repetition rendered more and more sinister. Look while you may. But this time Alcide observed that the executioner no longer held the saber bare in his hand. Meanwhile the sun had sunk behind the horizon. A semi-obscurity began to envelop the plain. The mass of cedars and pines became blacker and blacker, and the waters of the tomb, totally obscured in the distance, mingled with the approaching shadows. But at that instant several hundreds of slaves bearing lighted torches entered the square. Led by Sangare, Tsiganes and Persians reappeared before the emir's throne, and showed off, by the contrast, their dances of styles so different. The instruments of the Tartar orchestra sounded forth in harmony still more savage, accompanied by the guttural cries of the singers. The kites which had fallen to the ground once more winged their way into the sky, each bearing a party-colored lantern, and under a fresh breeze their harps vibrated with intenser sound in the midst of their aerial illumination. Then a squadron of Tartars in their brilliant uniforms mingled in the dances, whose wild fury was increasing rapidly, and then began a performance which produced a very strange effect. 
Soldiers came on the ground, armed with bare sabres and long pistols, and as they executed dances, they made the air re-echo with the sudden detonations of their firearms, which immediately set going the rumbling of the tambourines and grumblings of the daires and the gnashing of the dotares. Their arms, covered with a colored powder of some metallic ingredients, after the Chinese fashion, threw long jets, red, green, and blue, so that the groups of dancers seemed to be in the midst of fireworks. In some respects this performance recalled the military dance of the ancients in the midst of naked swords. But this tartar dance was rendered yet more fantastic by the colored fire, which wound serpent-like above the dancers, whose dresses seemed to be embroidered with fiery hands. It was like a kaleidoscope of sparks, whose infinite combinations varied at each movement of the dancers. Though it may be thought that a Parisian reporter would be perfectly hardened to any scenic effect which our modern ideas have carried so far, yet Alcide Jolivet could not restrain a slight movement of the head which at home, between the boulevard Montmartre and La Madeleine, would have said, Very fair, very fair. Then, suddenly, at a signal, all the lights of the fantasia were extinguished, the dances ceased, and the performers disappeared. The ceremony was over, and the torches alone lighted up the plateau, which a few instants before had been so brilliantly illuminated. On a sign from the emir, Michael was led into the middle of the square. Blunt, said Alcide to his companion. Are you going to see the end of all this? No, that I am not, replied Blount. The readers of the telegraph are, I hope, not very eager for the details of an execution à la Montartère. No more than your cousin. Poor fellow, added Alcide, as he watched Michael. That valiant soldier should have fallen on the field of battle. Can we do nothing to save him? said Blount. Nothing. The reporters recalled Michael's generous conduct towards them. They knew now through what trials he must have passed, ever obedient to his duty, and in the midst of these Tartars, to whom pity is unknown, they could do nothing for him. Having little desire to be present at the torture reserved for the unfortunate men, they returned to the town. An hour later they were on the road to Irkutsk, for it was among the Russians that they intended to follow what Alcide called by anticipation the campaign of revenge. Meanwhile Michael was standing ready, his eyes returning the emir's haughty glance, while his countenance assumed an expression of intense scorn whenever he cast his looks on Ivan Ogaryev. He was prepared to die, yet not a single sign of weakness escaped him. The spectators, waiting around the square, as well as Fiofar Khan's bodyguard, to whom this execution was only one of the attractions, were eagerly expecting it. Then, their curiosity satisfied, they would rush off to enjoy the pleasures of intoxication. The emir made a sign. Michael was thrust forward by his guards to the foot of the terrace, and Fiofar said to him, you came to see our goings out and comings in russian spy you have seen for the last time in an instant your eyes will be forever shut to the day michael's fate was to be not death but blindness loss of sight more terrible perhaps than loss of life the unhappy man was condemned to be blinded however on hearing the emir's sentence michael's heart did not grow faint he remained unmoved, his eyes wide open, as though he wished to concentrate his whole life into one last look. To entreat pity from these savage men would be useless. Besides, it would be unworthy of him. He did not even think of it. 
his thoughts were condensed on his mission which had apparently so completely failed on his mother on nadia whom he should never more see but he let no sign appear of the emotion he felt then a feeling of vengeance to be accomplished came over him ivan said he in a stern voice ivan the traitor the last menace of my eyes shall be for you ivan ogaryev shrugged his shoulders but michael was not to be looking at ivan when his eyes were put out marfa strogoff stood before him my mother cried he yes yes my last glance shall be for you and not for this wretch stay there before me now i see once more your well-beloved face now shall my eyes close as they rest upon it the old woman without uttering a word advanced take that woman away said ivan two soldiers were about to seize her but she stepped back and remained standing a few paces from michael the executioner appeared this time he held his sabre bare in his hand and this sabre he had just drawn from the chafing dish where he had brought it to a white heat michael was going to be blinded in the tartar fashion with a hot blade passed before his eyes michael did not attempt to resist nothing existed before his eyes but his mother whom his eyes seemed to devour all his life was in that last look marfa strogoff her eyes open wide her arms extended towards where he stood was gazing at him the incandescent blade passed before michael's eyes a despairing cry was heard his aged mother fell senseless to the ground michael strogoff was blind his orders executed the emir retired with his train there remained in the square only ivan ogaryev and the torch-bearers did the wretch intend to insult his victim yet further and yet to give him a parting blow ivan ogaryev slowly approached michael who feeling him coming drew himself up ivan drew from his pocket the imperial letter he opened it and with supreme irony he held it up before the sightless eyes of the tsar's courier saying read now michael strogov read and go and repeat at irkutsk what you have read the true courier of the tsar is ivan agaryev this said the traitor thrust the letter into his breast then without looking round he left the square followed by the torch-bearers michael was left alone at a few paces from his mother lying lifeless perhaps dead he heard in the distance cries and songs the varied noises of a wild debauch tomsk illuminated glittered and gleamed michael listened the square was silent and deserted he went groping his way towards the place where his mother had fallen he found her with his hand he bent over her he put his face close to hers he listened for the beating of her heart then he murmured a few words did marfa still live and did she hear her son's words whether she did so or not she made not the slightest movement michael kissed her forehead and her white locks he then raised himself and groping with his foot trying to stretch out his hand to guide himself he walked by degrees to the edge of the square suddenly nadia appeared she walked straight to her companion a knife in her hand cut the cords which bound michael's arms the blind man knew not who had freed him for nadia had not spoken a word but this done brother said she nadia murmured michael nadia come brother replied nadia use my eyes whilst you are asleep i will lead you to urkast 
End of chapter 5